Hello and welcome to These Are The Things, the podcast about podcasts, about what's streaming online and what is going on in the world of entertainment. I'm just going to drop the small talk this week and get straight into it because actually, for a change, there was quite a lot to watch this week. The first thing that I watched was the Billie Eilish documentary on Apple TV and it was intriguing to watch it so soon after watching the Framing Britney documentary because in many ways Billie is, well she's, she's seen as the, the polar opposite of Britney in some ways but actually I think in many ways there are parallels but she's living in a much more modern world and a much more reserved world in some ways. It's kind of done like a fly in the wall documentary, but this is far from a warts and all view on Billie Eilish. And I have to say, I think it leaves a lot more questions um, unanswered than it does answer them. Most of what I've discovered from Billie since has been through her Vanity Fair interview and various interviews that she has done on podcasts and various platforms. Um, We're led to believe that Billy is kind of this alternative emo, just kind of happened upon fame. She did record her um, album in her bedroom and it was very much kind of an organic process doing it with her brother. But she is signed by Interscope Records, which is one of the biggest labels in the world. And there is a huge marketing team behind her. What's interesting in watching this so soon after watching the Britney documentary is that her life is very protected. She still lives at home with her parents. Her parents go on tour with her. She is not hounded by the paparazzi in any way, shape or form. But she is, in many ways, suffering from the same scrutiny And it kind of reflects in what many teenagers are going through. What goes on in the real world follows you into your bedroom. At one point, there's an interesting conversation going on between Phineas, who is the genius behind all of the music, and uh, Billy's mother, saying that Billy is so woke, is the term. She is so woke in terms of what her fans want and what her fans need, that it's almost crippling her in terms of creativity. She's afraid to put a foot wrong. And it's this constant information that is coming to her from the internet, from her fans. Yes, she can hear from her fans all the time, but it seems to be crippling her in in ways that definitely seems to be stifling her in terms of um, creativity. And that was also interesting as her career progressed as well when they were recording the James Bond theme, which is always going to come with with a template of how it will be. There will be a big orchestra. You will belt your songs. And when her brother is urging her to belt and really vocalise, which is very un-Billie Eilish because it's, it's, it's a very gentle whisper. It's what she usually produces. But she was afraid to do that because she kind of whispered as a joke that the internet doesn't like it. But it seems like the sound of the internet is really in her ears all the time and the sound of what her fans want seems to be, at that point, this is almost a year and a half ago that this was recorded, did seem to be stifling her in terms of creativity. But the questions that I wanted answered 
and forgive me if this has already been answered, but she is homeschooled and I think people at the moment in particular have a real interest in people who choose homeschooling not because of a pandemic but because of a lifestyle choice. Why did her parents make those choices for her and given that her mother is a screenwriter, her father is a building contractor but also a part-time actor, they seemed very much intent on raising artists and Again, I found this out from a podcast, not from the documentary. Billy said that they there weren't really rules in the house, but the one rule in the house growing up was if she and her brother from the age of three or four were creating music, her parents were not allowed to send them to bed. And the music could be appalling, but it didn't matter. Once they were being creative, they had to stay with their creativity and and deal with that which is interesting and must make for uh an interesting routine in that household the other things was they kind of just they showed and I think it was really important to show was was Billy's Tourette's and she has spoken about that as well in other interviews but it wasn't delved into like when that started to affect her, how it affects her. She seems to speak about it really openly that I can only imagine must benefit her and also fans who suffer from Tourette's. But it's not um dealt with at all. And almost more worryingly is something that is just said in a past remarkable way was that Billy um used to self-harm at the age of 14 and that's in many of her lyrics. And she said she slept beside a blade and she always had plasters on her wrists while she was self-harming. Not questioned, just absolutely blanked over. And it's, I think given that her audience is so young, I think if you are going to touch on those subjects, you should at least ask questions and follow up. She, I think the most important thing that we could gained from that is that she has overcome self-harming so maybe a little conversation about how she has overcome that would have been really really beneficial or not show it at all um the other documentary i went into was i'm really surprised but i'm really getting into sports documentaries this is the bruno tyson documentary and like the tiger woodstock i come from to this with complete and utter ignorance and I must put my hands up and go it's not that I just have ignorance of boxing absolutely hate it I really can't it's just not my bag at all and um regardless of who's doing it but I would always always have known of Frank Bruno from the world of popular culture back in the 80s he I think he would pop up on the Royal Variety show because he had got involved in Panto. And unfortunately, I think that led him down a really harsh road in terms of criticism with the UK media and also in terms of credibility within the boxing world. And Mike Tyson, for other reasons, uh, very controversial reasons, was very much in the news when I was growing up. And more recently, I think he'd probably be better known as somebody who showed up in the Hangover movies. In my world, I am well aware that I am speaking here from a place of complete ignorance. Um, I think if you know anything at all about these two boxers, this is not the most insightful documentary. But what it does study is 
kind of the fallout. And for Tyson, it was slap bang in the middle of his career. Mike Tyson was came from a very deprived background. He was arrested 36 times before the age of 13. He was taken and adopted by a family and they seemed to be a good guiding light for him. But it seemed to be when the father of that family died, his world fell apart and the guidance um, just wasn't there for him. And I'm not making excuses, but I'm just saying that he came from an incredibly difficult start in life and um, his world definitely seemed to fall apart and having the scrutiny and having the privileges that come along with fame. Um, it it was very, very difficult for him. Frank Bruno, on the other hand, seemed to come from a, not a wealthy background in any way, but um, definitely had a strong marriage at the time of his career, uh, was a loving father and was just the most gentle soul who came in a giant's body. But he was an incredibly sensitive soul. And I was reminded quite a lot of the um, interview that I've discussed here before, which is the Lenny Henry interview that he did with Louis Threw, where he spoke about the importance of not just having people of colour and black people on screen, but also having them in production so you when you were coming up in the world as a younger person you feel like you have the ability to say no because um Bruno seemed to fall into the trap of playing the stereotypical black person he did a commercial where he was man friday and he he ended up being called being referred to by by the black community as a coconut um, as an Uncle Tom, and he, for somebody who took belts in the boxing ring, he seemed to have a very, very thin skin, as we all would when abuse is hurled at us, and it really, really went to the heart of him. But his world only really seemed to fall apart when he retired from boxing after that um, bout with Mike Tyson, and his marriage fell apart and he seemed to not to be able to survive in the real world, which I think for many professional athletes where they are babysat and cocooned in that way when you are left to suddenly function for yourself and suddenly you don't have somebody looking after your diet and paying your bills and doing all those things and you were thrown out to the real world without an education without any of those things to back you up it is very very difficult to survive and also let's take into account the amount of belts he has had to endure and concussions that are going to play havoc with your brain and with your mind. There's a touching moment in it where they both come back to each other and they've they've had the battles of life out of the ring, which have definitely dealt them harder blows than the ones in the ring. And they were kind of like war heroes meeting. It's tragic and it's beautiful. And I think it particularly, it's really hard not to be drawn in by Frank Bruno because he just seems to be a beautiful, gentle soul. Um, other things that I've watched, as I said, I, I watched a hell of a lot more than I'd usually watch because there had been a drought. Um, 
I Care A Lot is on Amazon Prime. That is starring Diane Wiest and Rosamund Pike, both of whom are incredible. I hadn't read much about this before I started to watch it. And to be honest with you, I haven't read an awful lot since. I will just say that I was confused throughout. When I first started watching it, it seemed like a real drama. Then it became a black comedy. And for the last 30 minutes, it seemed to be a farce. Uh, Rosamund Pike plays somebody who takes people in care homes under her wing and basically screws them for all that she can. And um, Diane Wiest plays an elderly woman who who, uh, Rosamund uh, puts into a care home and drugs her. And it's it's really a tale of when evil meets evil. And it has its moments... Um, if you want it on a Sunday afternoon for a little bit of escapism, it's something that I'd recommend. Will it stay with you? Is it something that you'll remember even watching? I think most of us are going to black out most of the pandemic anyway. Uh, no, I, I, I'm finding it hard to remember exactly what happened a week on. But if you want to pass a couple of hours, um, it's there for you on Amazon Prime. Behind Her Eyes, as well as something that I watched on Netflix, it's about six episodes long. Um, it's a made-for-Netflix um, series starring Simona Brown and Eve Hewson. Uh, it's a thriller. It moves along nicely. Uh, it's not going to rock your world. I think mo- I, I just... Everybody had spoken about the ending, and I think only for that I'd probably have given up halfway through. But it is worth hanging in there for the ending, and you do spend a lot of time thinking about it a couple of days later. Eve Hewson, I'm sure she won't be delighted in being described like this, but you know what? It's it's not the greatest burden to carry. She is, in case you don't know, the daughter of Paul Hewson, Bono. And once you know that, it's really hard to see. She's a beautiful feminine version of what Bono was in 1984 at Live Aid. Especially, there's a lot of flashbacks in this to where she is um, her younger self and she's got the long, dark hair. And it's so like Bono in uh, in Live Aid that it's really hard to even see. But she has... She's a beautiful, but most of all, a really interesting and captivating face. And... Even when you see her in interviews, not just for this part, she need to be, needed to be mysterious for this part. But in general, she is has a really, really interesting face that works so well on screen and on in particularly on the big screen. So I think we'll definitely be seeing an awful lot more of her. For a podcast for this week, I'm going to go back. And it was actually the, watching Frank Bruno that reminded me of this podcast i'm waiting for series three to come out it's called mad world by byrony gordon in it she interviews a lot of household names the first name has this for a big name on your first ever podcast first person she interviewed was prince harry this is going back i think to 2017 and he was interestingly just i think at the beginning of his relationship with um megan markle and I think he was feeling much more open when you do with Americans um, to speak more openly, as we all should feel more open about speaking about his mental health. And he gives a lovely, lovely um, 
unpretentious interview about his mental health, about the effect of the death of his mother, but also about the effect that um, working as a soldier on the front line did for him and um, the post-traumatic stress that that would have stayed with him. But also this really goes into um, an interview with Frank Bruno and that is powerful for many reasons but most of all he talks about he, he was diagnosed with bipolar he's still I think a lot of people who are diagnosed with bipolar bipolar seems to be a blankish um, diagnosis and many people would, would argue with that he doesn't feel he has bi- bipolar but um, he has suffered chronically from mental health issues and but the most insightful of all is just how far we have come in dealing with mental health. Frank was, um, he was taken to hospital in an ambulance. He was actually sectioned um, on two occasions. And the first time he was sectioned, the press got hold of it and managed to be outside his door and take photographs of him. And The Sun, which was edited by Rebecca Brooks at that time, read a headline of Bonkers Bruno and the devastation that that had on him and his family and knowing and coming out while you're trying to be in recovery, going in and walking into your news agent and feeling that that's the first thing that people think about you. It's a beautiful interview and he's a Oh, he's just a beautiful soul and in particularly Byron he has a lovely way about her and she's so open with her own mental health issues that I think it really opens the path for other people to be that open and not self-conscious and because of that she gets amazing names. There's Fern Cotton, Stephen Fry, Matt Haig. But most interestingly of all, and I think it takes the most skill to hold an interview like this, is an interview that Byronie does with her mother, the journalist Jane Gordon. And that is incredible because, as anyone knows, interviewing is never easy. But if you know somebody that well, that's really, really tough. And that is just a beautiful and heartwarming interview that she does with her mother where Byrony talks about her own issues and her mother opens up and talks about hers and talks about dealing with living alone in the pandemic and also dealing with having a child who's had um, mental and emotional issues and the trauma of that on a parent. It's absolutely gorgeous and as always the link is in the show notes. Now, full disclaimer, I need to talk about this because it has been the only thing that has been slowly drip fed to us since Monday. And this is the upcoming Oprah Winfrey, Meghan and Harry interview. It's really an Oprah Oprah and Meghan interview from what I can tell. And before I guess the what are boundary, um, Let's just put this out there because it doesn't seem we can mention any of this before. What about Andrew? What about Andrew? He is an absolutely despicable character. There is absolutely no rhyme or reason why Buckingham Palace should investigate Meghan before they investigate Andrew and his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. And 
there is absolutely no way that they should do any of this before they absolutely insist that he goes and speaks to the FBI. So that's that out of the way. The what about Ree, what about Andrew, done, over with. You know, we'll now talk about this interview. Or just the clips. The, I am currently recording this on the Friday before the interview airs. It is going to air in America on Sunday at 8pm and it will air in Ireland and the UK on Monday at 9 and 9.30. And by all accounts, it is going to be absolutely amazing. Um, Where to begin? I mean, first of all, I would just like to say that whoever put out those trailers is a genius because the dramatic music, the look on Meghan's face and the clip of Harry in the end saying, I don't want history repeating itself. And the little, intentional or not, it seems like a dig, certainly at his family, if not his father, that his mother was left alone to deal with this. And also the question from Oprah, were you silent or were you silenced? So, so dramatic, so Hollywood and so perfect. And it has been a week of it. I mean, it has just been the story that keeps on giving because instead of ignoring it, Buckingham Palace has just gone and done what it always did with Diana and Fergie and everybody else. You come out and you say something about them and then they just throw everything at you. So, yes, the bullying allegations have come out. But it's been interesting to take a look back. And you know what's most interesting of all? It's just to think that Meghan and Harry are not yet three years married. So much has happened. It's just been like the Charles and Diana wedding on fast forward so much has gone on and I think we must I think the narrative now is that Megan was always painted in a dark light and I don't know what she's going to say in in this interview we're very limited in what we're getting but from what we have been told and from the book which they they haven't denied it so we can only say that they must have had a part in it, finding freedom. It seems to be that they felt that they were very untreated, badly treated from the start, which is not necessarily true. Um, there was definitely uh, racist undertones to the coverage of Megan in the early days, discussing her mother's hair and the straight out of a Compton um, comments. But for a lot of the media, this this was seen as a really exciting partnership. I mean, if you were to choose a CV for somebody to marry Prince Harry, she was bubbly, fun, incredibly modern, had already been involved in an awful lot of charities, has a degree in international politics, had already studied with the UN. I mean, this girl's CV was incre- incredible. Um, The Markle Sparkle was her nickname. 
Um, I remember her trip to Ireland and they were both phenomenal. I mean, you can say what you want about the royals. It, it's a tough job walking up to a heap of strangers and starting a conversation with them. But she seemed to empathise. I remember they went to the Fabon Memorial, which was an odd choice for royals for many reasons. But she really empathised and took everything that they were saying on board. And we weren't getting a blank look, which was possibly part of the problem because showing too much personality in those roles is never seen as a positive. But marrying into any royal family is a double-edged sword. You are put on a pedestal for so long and then dramatically taken down. Or in the case of Kate Middleton, you were scrutinised and criticised right up until the point you get married. But she had a very, very long courtship, if you remember. I think they were going out with each other for about 10 years. And the amount of muck that was thrown at that girl from everything from articles about Carol Middleton being pushy to Carol Middleton having the audacity and being so vulgar as to chew a nicotine um, chewing gum at one of uh, William's graduations. Actually, the Mirror ran a parody diary account of pushy Carol Middleton pushing her way into um, high society. Channel 4 did a documentary going through their family, going through uh, Carol's mother-in-law, mother, who apparently spoke, tried to speak with uh, a posher accent than uh, her working class background should allow. I mean, judgment, classist, Jesus. They even tracked down Kate's uncle in Ibiza and threw all kinds of allegations at them. It's not just the UK either. Um, the Queen of Spain, Queen Letitia, she'd been previously married like Meghan. And on her engagement to the then Prince Felipe, they went and found the bed that she had shared with her ex-husband on her first night and auctioned it. Yeah, classy. Um, I also saw a really interesting interview with Charles and Diana and again I will put the link, the YouTube link in um, the show notes and it was around 1984, Harry was just one and William was maybe three or four and the question was put to Diana that had to be asked because it was all over the papers non-stop that she was a a difficult and domineering woman and very difficult to work with. Do we see a pattern here? Anyone? Anyone reminding you of anything? And let's not forget poor Fergie. Fergie had everything thrown at her. She was the Duchess of Pork. Remember that? She used to eat sausages. That's why she was putting on weight. Her weight was constantly talked about. She was also a dreadful mother. She went off to Australia on duty and she left her daughter behind and she was regularly painted as a neglectful, willful and neglectful mother. I remember all the spitting image um, uh, skits on that. I mean, how did these people put up with it? And it's not just the women. Princess Anne's first husband was nicknamed Fog because he was so dim. Who? in their right mind, would want to marry into any of those families. But there are two clips, actually, in um, the, in the lead-up to the wedding of Harry and Meghan that I, I wish she'd seen. And maybe would it have changed her mind? Was she so blinded by love? 
or were you once you're engaged is it so hard to back out of it or did she think she could cope with it one is Jermaine Greer on this morning where she predicts that Megan would bolt and that she would take Harry with her ha 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 and why because of all the positive things about Megan because she is and well-educated, successful, independent woman, why the hell would she want to get involved in a, that crippling institute? The other was by um, Yasmin Brown. That was on Good Morning Britain. And this is so long ago that uh, Piers Morgan was defending Megan, but she was just begging her, begging her not to marry Harry. Not that they weren't suited, but that she couldn't possibly wish marrying into a royal family on any modern woman. And I think that's the interesting thing about Meghan. She wasn't an A-list star and that's not a criticism. But she was used to being in the spotlight but not the public eye. And more interesting than all of this, she's probably the most modern type of of successful person. Not because of her work with Suits, but more because of the work that she was doing as an influencer on her website, The Tig, where she was completely and utterly in control of her own narrative. And believe me, you could not go into an institution where all of that is taken away from you. And you're never going to be in control of where you sit, let alone what you do. And there's most recently, as I say, I'm recording this the Friday before the interview is is broadcast. The latest clip to come out from the Oprah interview is where Megan is talking about the fact that Oprah had phoned her in the March before she got married. They're, sorry, they're also been labelled as friends. I think they had met once before Oprah went to the wedding. And apparently George Clooney had never met Megan or Harry before he went to the wedding. So, uh... If we're going to call people social climbers, I think we should be calling Oprah and George Clooney social climbers. Why would you go to a wedding of someone you don't know? But anyway, that's beside the point. In the in the clip with Oprah, she said that she was shocked that she came in as an independent woman, as a successful woman, and suddenly all of that was taken away from her. I really find it hard to believe that she was that naive getting into it. I mean, I know she's American and she did point out in the engagement interview that she knew nothing about that pop culture. But hey, the first thing we do with anyone when we start dating them these days is Google them. Good God, there's a fair bit there on Harry. And I mean, and it's not just a LinkedIn or a Facebook profile. There is a lot to delve into. And surely, surely you should have known. Did you watch an episode of The Crown? This is what happens. You have no freedom. You are a puppet and you are a puppet for the courtiers within that institute and you are going to be scrutinised by everybody who pays your bills and that's the taxpayer. It's a dreadful place to marry into. The first question that I ask anybody is why would you do that to yourself other than being blinded by love and maybe she was but it's going to be really really interesting. I don't know. I I think this week it's brought back a lot of memories of the Charles and Diana era of Kensington Palace putting out one report and St. James's retaliating with another. And no one, no one comes out a winner out of that. And the bullying claims we'd all heard back in 2018 
that there was almost a conveyor belt of staff. Staff were not happy there for whatever reason. I don't know. But when there's a lot of staff leaving, I think questions should be answered. And I think what really needs to be answered is why HR didn't do anything about it and why this has suddenly been looked into now. And the earrings debate, it's just so petty and pathetic. It doesn't look good for Buckingham Palace and it doesn't look good for Meghan and Harry just throwing eggs at each other. It's bringing a lot of bad memories back of how acrimonious that Charles and Diana separation was. And I've always believed that William and Harry are as affected by that as they were at the death of their mother. Anyway, it'll be interesting. Um, I, I don't know where this is going to end. It's not a good look. The only winner out of all of this is Oprah Winfrey and CBS. This has been sold to 68 countries so far and counting. And apparently to get a commercial for about 30 seconds on this, and it's an American production, so they take a lot of commercial breaks, is $200,000. This is just, the, Oprah has described it as the greatest interview of her life. This might be the greatest paycheck of her life. This is going to be amazing. Even RT have bought it. I mean, I grew up in Ireland at a time where you wouldn't want to be seen. I did buy Hello, but you wouldn't want to be seen buying Hello because you'd be described as a West Brit. But anyway, these are the things, these are the things that I've been listening to and As I say, I might have a completely different opinion on this when I see it. Maybe everything they have to say is justified. So that's it. There's quite a lot there. Um, I don't know. uh, You can catch the Meghan, Harry, Oprah interview on ITV in the UK, RTE in Ireland, CBS in the United States, and uh, I, I would say anywhere in the other 68 countries and counting. Um, The only other thing that I have to report on, uh, it's always good news when you hear of filming starting because there's just been a drought. So um, House of Gucci has started filming in Italy with Lady Gaga. Wait for this for a cast. Lady Gaga, Robert De Niro, Jared Lato, Adam Driver, Al Pacino and Jeremy Irons. It's a really interesting tale. We remember, well, I don't remember it, but I, I, I remember hearing about it, about the house of Gucci and it all fell apart and uh, uh, the murders and affairs and money going missing and all of those things. I always fear for a film, though, where there's absolutely, where there's just so many stars all fighting for the best lines, all fighting for screen time. Sometimes the only thing that really suffers is the story. But anyway, this will be a delight to watch. Can you imagine? Beautiful Italian architecture, fabulous Gucci clothes, Lady Gaga, Robert De Niro, Jared Lato, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons. Yeah, that's worth the ticket. That's worth watching. Anyway, listen, as I've said before, all the links are in the bio and enjoy watching. I'll be back. Bye.